Great. 
So where are you? Take a moment and find yourself. Are you afraid? Are you ashamed? Feel guilty? Just confess that to the Lord. And now, Lord, would you speak your word to us in this place? Help us see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Six years old in 1968, Rich Raymond lived in the Cabrini Green Housing Project in Chicago, Illinois. He didn't really know his father. He was one of 10 kids, 10 kids from six different fathers. Almost everyone in the projects was black. In fact, Rich thought that he was black until the riot broke out and soon realized that he was the wrong color. One night when the violence grew particularly bad, policemen came and removed Rich, six-year-old Rich, and his family because of their race. That night, the authorities placed them in a nearby Catholic church. There were many children in the room in which uh, Rich was to sleep, but that night, a Catholic priest entered the room and chose Rich. He took Rich to a private place, and there he raped him. The priest told Rich that he was chosen because God didn't love him. For the next 34 years, Rich's life was cloaked in loneliness, addiction, broken relationships, and shame, while the Catholic priest went on to become a cardinal. Well, after that horrifying night at the church, Rich and his family moved to a new shelter. His mom put all the boys in one room, turned off the light, and late that night, Rich woke up sobbing alone in the dark, alone in himself in the dark. He said, the night before was so scary, and I was so young, I really didn't know what happened, only that God didn't like me, and that this was my punishment. Can you imagine how he felt? In Catholic tradition, you know the priest is the picture of God. And now Rich wanted to hide from God, unseen. Jean-Paul Sartre, the famous French philosopher, said that's why he would not believe in God. He didn't want to be seen. I can see and be seen, argued Sartre, but God cannot be seen. He can only see. Therefore, if God exists, I am reduced to a mere object of his gaze. Consequently, to be truly human, said Sartre, there must be no God. One day, when my 
daughter Elizabeth was, I don't know, probably about six. When she was little, my wife was helping her get dressed, and she asked Susan, she said, Mommy, does God live in our house? And Susan said, Yes, he does, honey. And from that day forward, she began dressing in the closet. <laughs> See, she understood Jean-Paul Sartre. In No Exit, he pictures hell as a room full of people with no eyelids. Hell is no privacy. Hell is being seen. And yet not being seen at all is to cease to exist, according to Sartre. I heard that there is this tribe in South Africa whose standard greeting is this, I see you, I am here. It's because they believe that unless someone sees you, you don't exist. And hey, did you know that the clear implication of current subatomic physics is that if no one sees you, you're not actually there? That's the implication of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. It's the principle that matter is foundationally uncertain. However, an observer collapses the quantum state of subatomic particles such that they don't really exist, you see, until they are observed, that is, seen, seen by something that really can't be seen, a person. So if we all exist in the same reality, we must all be seen by the same unseen seer. Well, quantum mechanics will just blow your mind if you look at it long enough, but the clear implication is that all things are fundamentally uncertain, like accidents until observed. But then seeing turns uncertainty into certainty and creates all things. So we're terrified to be seen. And yet if no one sees us, we don't exist. Or at least we go insane. Like the invisible man. Remember in H.G. Wells' books or that Kevin Bacon guy in Hollow Man? Or Gollum in uh, The Lord of the Rings holding his ring of power. Like Adam and Eve. Remember how they seized the power of knowledge, then hid from their creator? They hid from the word. They hid from the reason and went insane. So we don't want to be seen, and yet we long to be seen. When my kids were little, they were like constantly saying, see me, see me, see me, see me. I mean, it was like if I didn't see them, it didn't matter. Literally, there was no matter. And you know, Elizabeth had no problem getting dressed in front of Susan, seen by Susan. You see, being seen can be hell, but it can also be heaven. The greatest ecstasy is being fully seen. Your body, your passions, your shame, Fully seen by your covenant partner. Fully seen and thoroughly loved, clothed in love. Perhaps the difference between heaven and hell 
is all about the character of the one who sees you. Or perhaps faith in the character of the one who sees you. Well, as Richard wept in the dark, he had no faith or very little faith. He felt like an accident. Unwanted, rejected, fatherless. His very existence fundamentally uncertain. And if he was chosen, he was chosen not to be chosen by God. And Richard wasn't the first one to feel that way. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. We've been studying Genesis. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant. The Hebrew word is slave. She had a female Egyptian slave whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Due to their fear and their faithlessness, Sarai and Abram try to manufacture the blessing, kind of like how Eve and Adam try to make themselves in God's image. And it worked, kind of. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. She despised me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Like Eve and Adam, Sarai and Abram get what they want, and then they don't want what they get. It's sin, disobedience. You know, whenever we think that we can manufacture, create God's blessing through the power of our own flesh, we're deceived and walking in sin. In Galatians 4, St. Paul points out that when we live by the law in the power of the flesh, trying to create ourselves and manufacture the blessing, we are like children of Hagar. And ironically, old Jerusalem... That is, Jews still under the law, and also Muslims under the law. But when we live by grace, through faith, in the promise, who is Jesus, the Jerusalem above is our mother, and we're free. So according to Paul, the true children of Abraham are not the children of Sarah or Hagar, according to the flesh, but those who believe the promise and are born from above. Or whatever the case, the the baby in Hagar's womb was a product of 
disobedience and not, not the promised seed. Sarai said, may the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her. Literally, Sarai afflicted her, probably whipped her, leaving stripes all along Hagar's back. Sarai afflicted Hagar, and Hagar fled from her. Can you imagine how Hagar felt? How she feels all her life she'd been an object, a a slave girl. Her skin, the wrong color. She's the wrong race. She may have never been loved by anyone in all her life until these people, her, her master and her mistress, and now she's even rejected by them. Not just rejected. Not just rejected by them, she feels forsaken by God. Abram must have represented God, the man of God. And for 10 years, she'd been hearing about this promised child, the chosen one. And she, she had hope, but now her child was like chosen not to be chosen by God. And probably cursed. God had told Abram, The one who despises you, I will curse. And Hagar had despised, same word, Sarah. Sarai and Abram were one. Hagar must have felt cursed and intensely ashamed. I mean, this was an unwanted pregnancy. For she was pregnant with shame, failure, rejection, Rape and the darkness of the void. To use the words of Hosea the prophet, St. Paul, and God, Hagar was pregnant with, quote, not my people and not beloved. Her life was fundamentally uncertain and she wanted to hide. Next verse. Number seven, the angel of the Lord found her by a a spring of water in the wilderness. In the last chapter, if you remember, Abram sees the word of God, yet this is the first appearance in all of Scripture of the angel of Yahweh. And he revealed himself first to Hagar. Do you remember who it was in the New Testament to whom Jesus first revealed himself most openly, uh, revealed himself openly as the Messiah, the chosen one? Do you remember who? It was a rejected, hated Samaritan woman by a well. Number seven, the angel of Yahweh found her by a well, a spring in the wilderness, on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? 
She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Literally, be afflicted by her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your seed, your offspring, so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. So many that they cannot be numbered. Wow! I mean, that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, can God bless more than one person in such an outrageous and crazy way? God said to Abraham, uh, Abram at that time, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Does that include Hagar's family? Verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. It means God hears. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, which, by the way, may not be derogatory. It may be something like Italian stallion, an Italian stallion of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, that is, El Roy. Did you get that? Hagar is the only person in all of Scripture who gives another name to Yahweh. I am that I am. Her pet name for Yahweh is Elroy. And he seems to like it because he doesn't smite her. You are a God of seeing, for she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Or it could be translated, I have seen after the one who sees me. That is the back of the one who sees me. Or I have seen the one who sees me. Or I have seen the unseen seer, and I am not utterly destroyed after. She even gives him a pet name. As if he's her lover, her groom, her bridegroom. Verse 14, therefore the well was called Bir Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Bir Lahairoi means the well of the living one who sees me. I wonder what Hagar saw when she saw the one who saw her. I mean, What was it? What did he look like? Whatever it was, whatever he was, Hagar believed for she obeyed and she returned and she submitted to affliction like some kind of living sacrifice. I mean, Hagar believed and I wonder if her faith was reckoned to her as righteousness. Hagar believed and I wonder if she went on some kind of Faith journey. I wonder if one day she'd offer her only son as Abram would offer Isaac. Well, Hagar returns and Abram receives Ishmael as his son. 
Ishmael is circumcised, which is the sign of the covenant. God tells Abram that he has blessed Ishmael and that Ishmael will father 12 tribes. 12 tribes. Hey, that kind of sounds familiar too, huh? I mean, Ishmael sounds like he's blessed the way Abram, Isaac, and Jacob are blessed. And, And yet it's not through Ishmael that the name, the blessing, will come. Like Jesus said to the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. Yet the hour is coming. Indeed, it's already here. Well, when Ishmael was 13, miraculously, his half-brother Isaac was born, Isaac means literally laughter. It's the word laughter in in Hebrew. Genesis 21, 6. And Sarah said, she's now named Sarah, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. That is Isaac-ing. Ishmael was laughing like laughter himself. Same word. See the problem, Mother Church? We assume that only one can be blessed. If one is chosen, then the other must not be chosen. Only one can laugh, not both. So Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Ishmael shall not laugh like laughter. Ishmael shall not be blessed as my son is blessed, which is a strange thing for her to say since Isaac is blessed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And hey, you know, it's kind of interesting that there are two families of the earth still fighting over some blessing, the promised land. In chapter 15, God promised the land to the seed of Abraham as an everlasting possession. Yeah, you know, in Ezra 1-2, God seems to promise the, the land to the king of Persia. That's Iran. Yet Jeremiah in 27-5 says this, God says he gives the earth the land to whomever he desires. And you know what the apostle Paul says? The apostle Paul says that God has given all things to me. <laughs> yeah. Check it out, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse like 21. He has given all things to me, and he has given all things to you. All things. I suspect that includes real estate in the Middle East. All things are yours, and all things are mine, which means we're going to have to share. Which means... There's like no private property in the new creation. And why do we want private property? Isn't it so that we can be private? 
and the unseen? You see, heaven may be far too public a place for you to enjoy in your present state of fear and shame. (laughs) That's a problem. When my kids were little, John and Elizabeth especially used to do this because they were only like less than a year apart. One of them would start laughing and say, I'm happy. And the other one would say, no, I'm happy. (laughs) As they got older, they learned that they could both be happy. When they were little, one would say, daddy chose me. And in fear, another would say, no, daddy chose me. Well, I hope they've learned that I choose both. And yet they are not the same. The blessing, me, is the same. And the blessing comes to each, but to each in a unique way. Well, Sarah feels threatened by Hagar and Ishmael. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman, Hagar. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for, though I, for through Isaac shall your seed, your offspring, be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring, your seed. Did you get that? Both boys are Abraham's seed. Both boys will be blessed. Both boys will be named, but the name and the blessing will come through Isaac. Salvation is from the Jews, said Jesus. The Jew to a Samaritan by a well. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. She's probably descending into Egypt and loses her way. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Her tears like an offering. For in obedience, she's watching the death of her only son. You know, Ishmael's about 15 years old at this time. Can you imagine what he felt? Can you imagine how Ishmael feels? He must feel like his mother did 15 years before. He must have felt forsaken by God. He must have felt like not beloved and not my people. His existence fundamentally uncertain, unseen, and afraid to be seen. He must have felt like rich. A few weeks ago at lunch, Rich told me that he woke up weeping in that dark room in that shelter in Chicago, convinced that God didn't love him and it was all his fault. 
And then Rich said, Peter, there in that place where I was, I heard a voice. He said, it was, it was so clear. I got up and looked in the other room just to figure out who was talking to me. And the voice said this. The voice said, Richard, it's not your fault. And then he said, Peter, I must have heard that voice, that word, 100 times throughout my life from then on out, even when I did not know who was speaking. You see, that night in Chicago, he began to believe. Someone heard. Someone saw. And yet still, for 34 years, he would not see the one that saw him, the unseen seer. Verse 16, Hagar lifted up her voice and wept, and God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God, that's this angel of Yahweh guy again, um, the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? I mean, does he really not know? I think he does. What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is, where he is. It's like where he is, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, seemingly forsaken by God somehow where he is is integrally related to hearing and seeing the one who sees the voice of the boy where he is up lift up says the angel of Yahweh resurrect lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hands for I will make him into a great nation a great nation there it is again he really is blessed although he feels like an accident he is not God's accident we are all products of disobedience but no child is an accident or a mistake although he's rejected by the people of God he has chosen himself by God. If chosen not to be chosen, it's so we can see that he is truly chosen by God. Although he was fundamentally uncertain, he is predestined and certain by him who sees. Although dead, he is raised by the word of God, the angel of Yahweh. Although lost, he's found. In the words of Paul and Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there in that place they will be called sons of the living God. It's as if God consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy the blessing on all. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. In the wilderness, there is a deep well of living water. Few people can see it now. Only the afflicted and only those to whom the angel of Yahweh reveals it. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. God was with him. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. God was with him and he grew up. And God made a great nation of him. 
Here are some people who claim to be his nation, his seed. They're Arabs. You know, millions of Arabs are Christians. Hundreds of millions are Muslims who trace their ancestry to Ishmael. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Islam and the Koran are packed with lies about Jesus, the promised blessing. And so most Arabs are lost in the desert. But even though they're lost and don't see, God is with them. How do I know? Because Jesus said so. Whatever you do to the last and the least of these, my brethren, you do to me. And if you get hung up on that brethren part, perhaps you've forgotten that Ishmael is Isaac's brother, his brethren. So Jesus, Emmanuel, is with them, yet they don't see him. So how are they to see Jesus? Well, through us. His body, broken and bleeding for them in love, through each one of us, like a spring of living water welling up in a desolate place, they are to see the one who sees them in us and through us because we're blessed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. They are to see. And yet I'm kind of concerned that we don't see them. For like Sarah, we think there's only so much blessing to go around. And so we tell ourselves they're not chosen to be blessed when in fact they're chosen to be blessed through us if in fact we've seen the blessing, the one who sees. I'm concerned we don't see them because we have not truly seen the one that sees us. You know, if you don't see the afflictions of others, You have not seen the one that sees you, the blessing, the angel of Yahweh. Do you see him? You know, the word angel means messenger. The angel of Yahweh appears throughout the Old Testament. He looks like a man, and he is even called a man, Yet he speaks and is spoken of as God. He is the God-man. Israel calls him the angel that redeemed me. He is the God-man that redeemed me. So what did Hagar see when she saw the one who sees her? I believe she saw the God-man with nail prints in his hands and his feet and stripes down his back. I know she saw Jesus, her bridegroom, and on him she saw her afflictions, for he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and with his stripes we are healed. I think she saw her wounds on his back. I think she saw Ishmael's wounds in his body. Do you see him? He is the blessing, the chosen one. He comes through Isaac. He came through Isaac, but he is the chosen one. One is chosen. And what is he chosen for? To bear the sins and the sorrows of this entire goddamned, God-cursed world. 
He has chosen to bear the curse on my behalf, our behalf. That means he has chosen to not be chosen on our behalf, that all might be chosen in him, for he is love. Do you see him? Or do you fight over who is chosen and who's not chosen? Look, he is chosen. Are you jealous, Sarah? Are you threatened, Hagar? Now that you see him, Ishmael, can you lay down your weapons, Isaac? You will lay down your weapons when you see him. For when you see the one that sees you, you will be shaped in his image, the image of the blessing, the image of Christ, the image of God, who is love. When you really see the one that sees you, you will be the new creation. When you see. And maybe... That kind of explains all the affliction. You see, until I am afflicted, I really don't see those that are afflicted. Know what I mean? And Jesus was afflicted. It hurt him to make us in his image. Until I'm rejected, I really don't see those others that are rejected. And Jesus was rejected by his family, by the priest, the high priest, by the entire religious establishment. Until I'm forsaken, I don't really see the forsaken. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine how he felt? Well, make no mistake, he is the promised seed of Abraham. He is the blessing, and he did come through Sarah, and yet Hagar was the first to see him. And maybe this is why she could see him. She could see Jesus. Chosen not to be chosen, for she was chosen to see Jesus. Do you realize that every wound you bear, every rejection, every affliction, even every sin is an invitation to see Jesus for he wears those wounds on his body. And when you see the one that sees you, you are shaped in his image. Can you imagine how he feels? Rich can. I think my friend Rich is beginning to look an awful lot like Jesus. He exudes this like passionate exuberance for God whom he calls dad and he pretty much as far as I can tell just loves everybody. After 34 years of wandering in the wilderness Rich met an Episcopal priest in Conifer who 
told him the name of the one who spoke to him in the dark and a hundred times since saying, Richard, it's not your fault. And so Richard received the name of Christ, became a Christian, and then started attending a church, our church. Every Sunday he'd come to hear the word and then he'd begin to see the unseen seer. He began to see the one who had always seen him. The angel of Yahweh. Our Lord Jesus. Do you see him? From the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is my blood of the covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. If you come to this table, you are surrendering your life and receiving his life in you. In Jesus' name, believe, worship, and become the body of Christ. Amen. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. Both are mercy. And so, Father, we thank you that your love endures forever, for you yourself are love. And you have given all judgment unto the Son, and he is the beginning and the end, the angel of Yahweh, our Lord Jesus, and he has the last word. And for that, Lord God, we praise you forever and ever and ever. For you have shown us your heart, our Jesus, our bridegroom, Amen. And now be seated wherever you are. This will only take a second. I just need to say that whenever I talk about these things, people think that I'm talking politics. And I'm not. There is no political solution to the problems in the Middle East. But there is a fascinating verse in Genesis chapter 25, verse 9. If you read it, you find that after all these years of separation, after Sarah has died and Hagar is no longer around, Ishmael and Isaac get together. They meet somewhere near Jerusalem to bury their father, Abraham. Near Jerusalem, in Christ, our father experienced death. And it was on a cross for all to see and all will come together at the foot of that cross when we see the unseen seer. The solutions to the problems in the Middle East do not lie in the political strategies of Barack Obama, George Bush, or Osama bin Laden. The solution to the problems in the Middle East and indeed the entire world lie within Rich Raymond. This is Rich right here. So Rich, would you just stand up and wave to everybody? Because you've got to give Rich a big hug, okay? Because he made me say all this stuff. 
So the solution to the world's problems lie within rich. That is a lot of pressure, man. Are you stressed out? Well, don't be too stressed out because the solution to the world's problem also lie within everybody in this room. Everyone that came to this table and saw the unseen seer and ingested his life into your life. You're the body of Christ. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, so like what's the practical application point? Because Hyatt, you never get to the practical application point. This is it. Ready? Love your enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.